I just want to say just welcome again here to, I would say Journey Church, but I feel compelled to say Jimmy Church because not only are, are, we, are we without our senior pastor today, we're without our associate pastor today, right? And we don't even have our two elders here today. I mean, it's, it's, it's the, uh, the, the Jimmy, Josh, Stephanie, Harlan church, I think, uh, today. So it's, uh, it's and lots of visitors. Yes, I, I have some, some wonderful friends uh, visiting from, from Sidetrack, which is awesome to see you guys. Thank you so much for, for joining us. Um, we, um, before we dive in, actually, I do a talk just real quick about some of the announcements, the slides we're running in the background. Uh, real quick, there's a, a conference coming up called Discipleship Now, or it's called D Now. Um, the dates are posted for it. It's February 17th through the 19th, so Friday, Saturday. We'll come back Sunday. Should make it back in time for Sunday service. Um, Pastor Mark is going to be the keynote speaker at this conference, and it's going to be over in Carson Springs. Uh, Pastor Mark's going to give us more information uh, about that coming soon. I also want to remind us that we do something called Fives on the 5th. There's a fifth Sunday this month, and what we do on that fifth Sunday is we kind of do breakfast out in the lobby. So uh, what it does is you bring $5 or any amount. The increments of five, thank you. I, I knew there was something with the fives. Just, um, but I'm pretty sure that the kids' ministry, they don't, they don't care. I think they're going to take your money anyway, um, even if you have single-dollar bills. They'll take whatever you give them. But it's, it's a way for us to fundraise money for kids' ministry, youth ministry, for retreats or trips. So on the 5th on Sunday, if you would like to bring a breakfast treat uh, or bring your wallet, that's great too. And we're going to just do some breakfast out there on the 5th Sunday. Um, it was Dina. Oh, and the family meeting. Family meeting. So we're going to have a family meeting next Sunday. These are very important meetings. This is where, where Mark kind of sits us down. He brings us in to, to a lot of the conversations he's having, the ways that God is moving in his heart, direction, for Journey Church, and I love that that Mark really wants to invite you to invite all of us in to this conversation because the church should it be about one man? No, it should not be about the pastor, as most churches you've seen is the CEO structure. The church should be about the people, right? It's it's about us coming coming together. So a very important family meeting next week. So we'll be doing that. Uh, to jump in here, uh, last week, Pastor Mark introduced us to a new sermon series. He's calling it The Way of Jesus. Okay, it's The Way of Jesus. And I really, I mean, it's, it's, any preacher could say this. I do genuinely mean this. I think that this is going to be one of the most important sermon series we do. I think it is so intensely pressed on Mark's heart and on Scott's heart and Ken and on Rick because we have been praying. So hard, it feels like, these last two, three, four weeks, we have been praying so hard for God to give us fresh vision and new life as we've turned the corner of this awful pandemic that's done a a number on all of us. We need new life and we need new energy, which means we need new spiritual Holy Spirit power in us. And so I think this sermon series is going to just help us see things differently and to see things new. Now, I... Preparing for today's sermon, believe it or not, I, I listened to Mark's sermon twice through last week, but each time note-taking, and 
took him out to Starbucks Coffee to sit down with him because I really want to capture this and I don't want to goof this up, though hopefully, Mark, if you're watching next week, you can correct everything that I'm about to say. Because um, this is going to sound like a really big oversimplification, but as the math brain that I have, I like to simplify things. The sim simple way I can kind of describe this sermon series, what's the aim goal of this sermon series? I believe it's this. I believe it is taking us, it's shifting us from just simply doing church to more into what it means to be the church. All right, let me say that again. All right, you've got to catch what's the difference here. What's the difference between just doing church and being the church? All right, so it's this idea that Marx taught us uh, about orthodoxy and orthopraxy. Okay, orthodoxy, orthopraxy. So doxy is where we get this word doctrine from, and those are right beliefs. So orthodoxy means we think right things, we believe right things, which leads us into orthopraxy. Praxis is where we get that word practice. Okay, so this is doing right things. So classically, as any preachers ever preach this, they'll say we come to our Bibles to learn right things, to believe right things, leading us. To live out right things, orthodoxy and orthopraxy. But I would kind of push back a little bit and say I think that there's still something missing because I don't think it's just about us having right answers. I don't think it's just about us doing right things. I think what is missing, and this is what this sermon series will deliver for us, is the heart. I think we're missing the heart. Now there's there's a church, um, I don't have a, a, a slide for this, but there's a church in the book of Revelation. It's one of the seven churches that uh, Jesus writes to through John, okay, is this church in Ephesus, okay? And the church in Ephesus were awesome orthodoxy. They knew right things, and they were awesome orthopraxy. They were doing all the right stuff. You read the letter that, that Jesus writes to Ephesus, you think, man, these guys are the valedictorians. They are, they are just amazing Christians. But let me read this for you. Again, I don't, have, I don't have it up here, so I'll just have to read it. In Revelation 2, 3, this is what he says. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for and You have not grown tired. Awesome. But, here's the but. I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Some translations say, you have forgotten your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent, and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. They had, it's a great church. And by the way, this is a, a, a church that existed within the same century as the Lord Jesus. I mean, this has only been a church for a couple decades. Still under the oversight of one of Jesus' direct disciples, John. Doing everything right, knowing everything right, but the heart, gosh, the heart is missing. They had abandoned their first love. I think... This sermon series is what it's going to do for us. It's going to recharge a new heart, a fresh heart for God. Here's the point. I'm sure you would agree. When we do church and we're doing things, when you're doing things all the time, can they become mundane? Can they become routine? 
And what happens when things become routine is they lose their novelty. They stop being special. In fact, one of the things that I like to do when I'm doing a wedding ceremony, and I get to the part of the wedding where we exchange the wedding rings, I always like to include this in, in, in my wedding ceremony. I always tell the bride, I tell the groom, I go, look at your ring. And if you're married, you can go ahead, take a look at your ring real quick if you're wearing it. And I tell the couple, you look at this ring, and I never want you to look at this and forget what it means. No, don't look at this and, and, and let it go get old. You know what I mean? Don't let it get old on you. You look at this with fresh eyes of the commitment you made that day to that person. And you look at this ring, say, this is a person who has committed themselves to me. It means something. And we cannot let these things grow old just because they become routine. Amen? So as we do this sermon series, <clears throat> there's going to be different segments. And, and I, I believe, again, Mark, you can correct this if you're watching online. Here's the question. It's always going to be, what motivates you? And today we're going to talk about worship. So I'm going to be asking you, why did you come today? I, don't know, I, was, I know probably a preacher shouldn't be asking this question, right? Why, why are you here? <laughs> why are you here? That's a great, that's a great question. Okay, it's a great question. Why are you here? It's really asking, what motivates you to come to worship? That's what I'm going to be tackling today. But next week, Mark's going to ask you, what motivates you to deny yourself? In future weeks, it's going to be, what motivates you to show mercy? What motivates you to show justice? What motivates you to repent? What motivates you to be resilient? So this sermon series, The Way of Jesus, just to conclude this point, we are taking things of church, and we are completely going to dismantle it. We're going to disassemble all of it, and we're going to pick it up piece by piece, and we're going to evaluate it one at a time, and we're going to say, what motivates you to worship? What motivates you to show mercy? What motivates you to repent? And is this all in conformity with the way that Jesus teaches us? Does that make sense? So for worship. What motivates you to worship? Um, really going to come down to a really good, good question here. And I said, have you ever thought, very, listen very carefully to this question. I thought, thought very carefully about this. Have you thought about what terrible costs it took to be able to worship God on friendly terms? What do I mean by, what do I mean by friendly terms? I mean... How is it that you and I can stand in the presence of a holy, almighty, awesome God and not be completely destroyed? Have you thought about what terrible cost it took to be able to allow you and I access to the presence of God? We don't have time to turn here, but I want to share it real quick. Isaiah Chapter 6, Isaiah finds himself in the throne room of God. The trail of his robe fills the temple with glory. There are some special characters in this throne room. In fact, there's these supernatural, angelic creatures. They're called seraphim. Seraphim. And they're these amazing, angelic creatures. They have six wings. Now, with two of these wings, they fly. But with two of these wings, they cover their, their face. And with the other two wings, 
they cover their feet. They stand in the presence of God, and even as powerful and majestic and beautiful as they are, even they cannot be in the presence of God completely. Have you thought about what terrible cost it takes for you and I to be able to stand in the presence of God? What a privilege. What significance is it? So I'm going to give you just the the structure of the whole sermon today. It's going to come down to to two basic questions, okay? And in fact, I'm just going to treat you guys like like my youth students, if that's okay. Here's here's your homework assignment, all right? I'm going to give you a homework assignment. Your homework assignment is going to be to answer these two questions, all right? It's going to be how have you been set free to worship and why have you been set free to worship? I'm going to repeat those two questions. This is the you're going to be responsible for answering these questions, all right? How have you been set free to worship, and why have you been set free to worship? Oh, now I am, Pastor Mark. <laughs> when you know his series listening. <laughs> That's great. Oh, man, that got me. That got me. All right. These are the two questions. So um, do I have any youth in the room? I know I see Ender. I see Ben. Man, I wish there was more youth out here. Because I was going to count on you, youth. I need you to do me a favor. On the drive home today, I need you to pop quiz your parents. All right? Or it could be at, maybe at dinner time tonight. Will you pop quiz your parents and ask them what the sermon was about today? Just do that. Yeah, this is why you don't let the youth pastor preach. Because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to take the side of the youth group every time. Yeah. So here are the two questions. How have you been set free? Why have you been set free? Um, you are going to need a Bible today. There's going to be quite a bit of Bible uh, I like to teach from the Bible. Um, so if you have a Bible, you're going to go to Exodus chapter 3 for me. Uh, it's going to be Exodus chapter 3. You can also follow along on the Bible app. We have events. Um, you can go there or, or electronic Bible. But if you can start making your way to Exodus chapter 3, I'm going to give you a little bit of the backstory here. So um, interestingly, our last sermon series, or not our last sermon series, but the one before it was a series on Genesis. All right, We spent significant time. Um, in the book of Genesis. And I think our Bema group, which meets on Wednesday, they're still going through another wave of Genesis. But this uh, Exodus is the second book of the Bible. It takes place right after uh, Genesis. And basically, Joseph, one of the sons of, of Jacob, the one who was sold into slavery in Egypt, um, has brought over his father, his brothers, and all their families into Egypt to enjoy this pros- prosperous time in, in Egypt. But what happens, eventually, a new king of Egypt arises, a new pharaoh who does not know Joseph, who feels that the Israelite population, as they multiply, multiply, and multiply, are becoming a threat. The plan is to oppress the Israelites and put the Israelites into slavery. Okay, So now they're in this really horrible, oppressive, burdensome, awful situation of slavery and what the people do the israelites cry out to god for help they cry out to god for a rescue now if you've been with us for the genesis series what do we know about the cries to god does god hear the cries of those suffering yes we think back to how hagar was mistreated she cried out to god god comes all right there was absolutely horrible, unjust things happening in Sodom and Gomorrah. They cry out to God. God hears. God responds. 
Same thing here. The people of God in Egypt, in slavery, cry out to God, and God raises up one man, and his name is Moses. He says, Moses, I am calling you, I'm picking you, I'm selecting you to go and free my people for a purpose. I need you to free my people to come and worship. Right, we missed that. So if you want to go with me, Exodus, it's going to be chapter 3 at verse 11. Verse 11. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? God said, I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. You shall serve God on this mountain. Now, I want you to, if you have a paper Bible, it's really cool. If you want to underline this word, serve, right? it's a really cool word. Uh, in Hebrew, it's avad. And avad oftentimes translates more into worship. So if you have an NA, NASB translation, I kind of like how the NASB, the NSB would say, bring the people out of Egypt so that they are free to worship me on this mountain. They are free to worship me. So the question, how have you been set free to worship? We need to first see here in Exodus. How have they, how are they going to be set free for worship? If you want to go with me here to Exodus chapter 12. Exodus chapter 12 or there's so much I wanted to, to, to share, but I have to, I have to pick my verses very carefully um, for time. But Exodus chapter 12 says here, The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be for you the beginning of months. See that beginning of months. Are we right now in a beginning of months? Right? We call this a new year. Guess what? This is a new year for them. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons, according to what each can eat, you shall make for your count for the lamb. Okay. Let's keep moving forward, though. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of this month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Okay, so I, I do need to park us here. We're not staying here, but I, I do need to park us at this passage here. We need to take some important notes. And I promise you these, these note-takings are going to be worth it. Give it a couple minutes. It'll all make sense at the end. But I want you to pay Special attention here to these very strict, like very odd uh, restrictions on the lamb. Okay, what are some of the things about this lamb that we need to know? First, it's without blemish. Okay, what, without blemish. What do I mean? It means it is without defect. Perfect. Think of the word pristine. Okay. Well, one of the things I just recently treated myself for Christmas is I got the Jordan ones, and everyone said, "Oh, that's so cool, right?" Yeah, right? These are pretty cool. I love them. I am trying my best to keep these pristine. Good, I know. Good luck. To keep them clean, without spot, without wrinkle. Okay? For, for, for Scott, I, I think about Scott's yellow Corvette. I mean, I could picture him 
washing that Corvette like every other day. I'm sure he keeps his Corvette pristine in the garage, which this is a complete side note, completely unrelated to scripture, but I try my best to mention Scott's yellow Corvette in all my sermons. And so far, this makes it three for three. So Scott, it's just, I just love to do it. I just love to talk about his Corvette, just because, just because. So this lamb is without defect. It is perfect. It is spotless. It is pristine. Okay, what else? A male, a male. So in this ancient Near East culture, right, it's patriarchal in its, in its, in its cultural context, okay? In this temporal cultural context, male is the symbol of strength. It's a symbol of strength. So it's a lamb that is perfect and pristine, but it is one that is strong, strong. It's also got to be what? A year old, a year old. At a year old, this is where the animal is reaching its peak performance, right? For, for humans, we call it in your prime, in your prime. This is the best of your energies, the best of your strength, the best of your mental capacities. It is at its peak performance. And then finally, notice that it is kept until the 14th day. Now, what day is it selected? Tenth. But you don't kill it until the 14th. Why do you keep it for four days? There's at least two reasons. One, inspection, evaluation. You spend four days to really check this animal out. Because we want to be very careful. I mean, if this is what is being brought to God and offered to God, we want to take extra care. In fact, we want to spend four days inspecting this animal. Is it really without blemish? Right? Is it really strong? Does it have any, any mental defects, maybe? I mean, we don't want to give God our, 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 our bad batch. And here that we are picking the strongest, the best, the most pristine. So you spend four days to inspect it, and you know what it also does? Is this word called endearment. Endearment. It is where we become attached to an animal. Does anybody have pets? You have pets? Are you attached to your pet? Have you named? Does your pet have a name? Maybe in these four days in the year you've had this lamb, it's a good chance you probably have named this, this lamb. You're attached to it. So it does that mean it means something to you? This, this lamb, it's just not any lamb. You, you know that, right? It's spotless. It's pristine. It's strong. It's at its peak prime performance, and, and you're attached to it. Now, I... Don't mean to pull heartstrings, but have you ever had to say goodbye to a pet? Easy or hard? It's hard. It's almost like losing a member of your It is losing a member of your family. It's really hard to say goodbye to a pet. Imagine how hard it is to let this precious lamb go. One last little note. I promised all these are going to make sense at the end. At what time, at what time do they kill the lamb? At twilight. At twilight. The Hebrew word here literally means between the two evenings. 
we say between 12, between 5, what's that number? 3 p.m. Okay. They kill the Passover lamb at 3 p.m. Question, what time do they kill the lamb? What time do they kill the lamb? 3 p.m. All right, that might come important later. We'll see. So it is costly. It is precious. But how? This doesn't answer the question. How will they be set free to worship God? I'm glad you asked. You asked, you asked the, great, the best questions. Let's go on to, to verse 21. Chapter 12 still, verse 21. Then Moses called all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go and select lambs for yourselves according to your clans and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and touch the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out of the door of his house until morning, for the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses to strike you. What is protecting them from being destroyed? The blood. The blood. This is God's rightful justice judgment. It's going to pass through Egypt. And now you understand the, the Egyptians aren't the only ones guilty. You know this, right? The Israelites are guilty of sin, too. Only what protects, only what protects the Israelites from, from the judgment of God? The blood. Destruction and wrath is coming through, and God will pass through. He will pass through with the destroyer, and he'll be looking. Is there blood? Is there blood over here? I'm trying to see. Okay, I see blood. I see blood. You, you, you guys are safe. You guys are safe. But do I see blood over here? Where's the blood? And this is what he does. He passes through, and it is if he sees the blood and he knows, my worshipers are here. My worshipers are there. I see the blood. My worshipers are there. But where he doesn't see the blood, those, they don't worship me. And you think, this blood so costly and so precious. In fact, do you notice that in the text, do they put it on, on the floor? Why is it only on three-fourths of the doorframe? It's on the top, it's on the sides, but why not the floor? Because how dare we step and trample on something so precious, so costly? They are set free when they've walked out that door in the morning because of the blood. So how have they been set free? By the blood. They have been set free by the blood. But this doesn't answer the question for you and me. How have you been set free? We, we know how they were set free. They were Israelites 3,500 years ago. They were set free by the blood of the Lamb. How have you been set free? That was my question. Turn with me to Matthew. Turn with me to Matthew, Matthew chapter 27. Matthew 27, verse 45. Matthew 27, verse 45. This is the crucifixion scene now. So from, it says, now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, 
saying, Eli, Eli, the Mai which is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders, hearing that, they said, this man is calling Elijah. And one of them at once ran, took a sponge, filled it with sour wine, and put it on a reed to give him to drink. But others said, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come and save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice, and he yielded up his spirit. Okay, He gave up his spirit. Now here's what's interesting. At what hour did Jesus die? What does the text say? The ninth hour. Yeah. What time is the ninth hour, Don? I hear you saying it. Say it louder. Three in the afternoon. What time is the Passover lamb slaughtered? What time did Jesus give up his spirit? Huh. Coincidence? A lamb, what? Without blemish? A man without sin? A male? Strong? Age 33 is prime. Jesus have a mom. I think that mom loved him. Jesus had brothers. Jesus had sisters. Do you think there was attachment? Do you think there was endearment? You know that Jesus went through six trials before he was killed. In the same way, they spend four days inspecting, is this animal mentally okay? They spend six trials making sure, is this Jesus guy a lunatic? You're telling me after six trials, he comes out innocent still. Without blemish, a male, strong, precious. And he spilt his blood on the cross for you, for me, at 3 p.m. Any of this coincidence? How have you been set free? Worship. By the blood. By the blood. What an unbelievable thought. I think about this every now and then. And Jesus says, Father, why have you forsaken me? Father, why have you turned your back on me? This concept, any of you guys heard this concept of infinity? Okay, but as God, for infinity past, for infinity past, the Father and the Son have always been one. Realize that? You know, they have never known a, re- a reality of being ripped apart until this moment. I mean, I can't even picture what it is to think back. Infinity. For infinity past, they've been one. And here, the Father turns his back on his Son. Theologians disagree that did, did Jesus descend into hell or not? Ah, we can debate that. But I can I can probably say for certain, it must have felt like hell to have his dad turn his back on him for the first time ever. That must have been hell. For Jesus, but think about it from the parent perspective. I know there's some parents in the room. God, 
to lose your child. The father's heart is broken too. We are set free by this very, very precious blood. Very precious blood. Harlan, I want to invite you to to, to come take your place here. I want to ask this question here. Guys, have you forgotten? I mean, I'm not I'm not trying to guilt trip anybody. I'm just being honest. Okay. Have you forgotten how you've been set free? Has it become too routine? Too much uh, Christian common knowledge? You know, we say the blood of Jesus, the blood of Jesus just kind of loses its novelty. Have you so quickly forgotten how precious the blood is, which set you free? Now, Jesus is so amazingly wise that in the night of his murder, he would institute something called communion. It's one of the three sacraments that the church does. It's called communion, but you know what it is also commonly called? The table of what? You know? The table of remembrance. Table of remembrance, because you and I and the fallen human bodies that we have, have memories like fishes. We forget. And God knows that. God knows that you forget. Here is a table that you are invited to come and re-remember how precious this blood spilt for you is. As the band takes the stage here, just wanna just wanna spend a moment here to to pray, and then we'll we'll have two lines come down and, and to to join us in remembering how have you been set free by the blood of Jesus, Father. I am so guilty of quickly forgetting how costly and how precious the blood of your Son is. Lord, I absolutely have taken it for granted. I absolutely don't give it a second thought. And I have absolutely stopped taking notice. Thank you, Jesus, in your wisdom for creating the table of remembrance. We can come now and receive the broken body, receive the shed blood. We remind ourselves anew and afresh that you shed your blood to set us free to worship you. In Jesus' name.